Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Without further ado, we have the legend, the La Femme Phenom with her husband, AKA the mate and the mates, the thunder from down under, Christine Kane Daly on TBN. Christine Kane, Christine, she needs no introduction. Come on, church. Whoa. All right. Y'all are insane. Let me just say, last night I was in um, DC. Who said you could sit down? Old people sit down, we're not old. Us young people, us young people. I'm 51 years young and let me just say, I've been doing this deal for 30 years and there is something happening here that I have not seen for decades. The Holy Ghost is in the place. And it was in our awakening in DC and honestly, this is that. I've been around, you know, when I went to Hillsong Church, I was 22 years old. I walked in on a Sunday night in a, 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 an auditorium, a, a warehouse, and there was a couple of hundred people, and um, there was something there. Well, 30-odd years later, you know there's something because of the impact that's happening around the world, and all I'm saying is for 30 years since I walked in and felt it, I've been waiting to see where is the it in the next generation. Let me just say, I think I might have found and sensed an it in that place. I, I really think so. This is that. Y'all, the rest of the country could be full of fear and doubt and negativity, but this is a Holy Ghost revival in this place. People are filled with the fire and the passion of God. Y'all, something has happened this week that's going to shift this nation. I just tweeted out and I said, y'all can think what you want, but there has been a shift in the spiritual atmosphere in America. And I'm telling you, this awakening is going to spread. America might have had an East Coast awakening a couple of hundred years ago, but it's time for a new awakening. And you guys started something massive, massive. So I'm fired up to be here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the best looking thing I've seen all day. <laughs> you can be seated. You can be seated and... Now, turn to your second choice and say, you're actually better looking than the other person. I was just... <laughs> so I was lying to them, it was really you. Nick and I, I, I feel so woven into the fabric of this family. And, um, you know, I can say that because I've been coming for 16 years, I think. Well, I was trying to work it out. Would that be right? Yeah, 16 years. And when you see what God has done in this house, I mean, I could bawl because we used to dream of these days. We used to pray for these days. And, and, and here it is. And then Paris, bonjour. Bonsoir this time of the night. Sorry, bonsoir. I, I love pa Paris. France is my number one city, my favorite city in the world. And so um, let me just say, as they're standing here and I'm watching what God is doing, you can't make this stuff up. You know, stuff that used to take years 
is taking months. Stuff that used to take months is taking weeks. Stuff that took weeks is taking hours. Stuff that took hours is taking minutes. God is going to so accelerate a work. Paris and France needs a move of God, and God is going to use you guys mightily to do something absolutely awesome in that place. He really is. These apostolic alignments don't take them for granted. Only God could take someone from Paris, France. I mean, we're in Jacksonville, Florida. I know, I know you think it's the epicenter of the world, but I just want you to know. I'm not actually being negative, but I am being logical. When you think Paris, London, but you think London, New York, Paris, you know, that's what you think. Globally, it would be just like God, just like Jesus is born where Jesus is born. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, let's just see. Can anything good come out of Jacksonville? We're touching the nations of the earth and the greatest cities of the earth. That's what's happening. Yes, something great can come out of Jacksonville, Florida, a revival that's going to impact the planet. That's what can come out. It would be just like God to use a city like this to set the major cities of the earth on fire. It would be just like the God that I know to do something like that. It would be God. Let me just say, you're planted in a great house. You're part of a miracle. I hope you see it. Don't be in the middle of it and miss it. Don't be in the middle of it and miss it. You ought to better turn up tomorrow and get baptized. I'm speaking out of Exodus 14. I'm not even up to tomorrow yet. I don't want to get past tonight into tomorrow. But you want to be here because I've saved the best till tomorrow. I'm telling you, there is nothing like church. So you want to come. I'm talking about miracles, signs and wonders and the crossing of the Red Sea. So you want to come and get water baptized. And God is going to do something so miraculous in your life. So don't miss being here and make sure that you're a part of it. I'm going to dive right into the Word. I think I love. Pastor Stovall and Kerry, Nick and I, we love them. They're family. We go, I mean, you know someone's family when you go on holidays with them. It's not just you come and preach, but you go on, but you can't go to vac- on vacation with just anyone. And so, um, you know, they're a bit cray-cray, we're a bit cray-cray. There's a lot of cray happening on holidays together. And so we love them to pieces. And so it's my honor to be in this house. I think I've got some pictures of my daughters because they've grown up a a little bit, Nick and I am married to the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh. You want to stand up, honey? He's got to stand up. There he is. He could come on your man camp with a sort of Duck Dynasty beard thing that's happening. I don't know what it is about you Southerners, but anyways, so. Um, and then, have I got a picture of my girls? Did my, I, I don't know if your team, they're probably going, Oh, so that's my 16, she's going to be 16 next month, actually, actually on your wedding, where's Kaylin? On your, where, is she here somewhere? No, I can't see her. Somewhere, Kaylin, yeah. yeah. On your wedding day, wherever you are, that's awesome. And so on March 10th, she's um, going to turn 16, so she is awesome, and for any guys looking, my husband carries. Okay, so uh, <laughs> just putting it out there, not till after high school. Okay, so... Um, then I've got my 12-year-old Sophia Joyce, I know. She's my little Sophie Joyce. And so they, they've grown up. Both my girls don't know life without Celebration Church. Isn't that awesome? Because this is like one of the first places that they're, they're like, they're, they don't know life without this church. So I love that with a passion. And you guys have been such awesome supporters of A21 since day one. We're 10 years old. Um, and you guys, right from day one have been phenomenal, phenomenal partners with us in a very significant way. And um, it would be just like, oh, who would have thought 
And that you see this, you just got to live long enough and you see, just keep being faithful and um, stay planted because honestly, it is amazing what God does. Just, I, th I think I've got a picture of maybe um, six weeks ago, Nick and I went to India where, do you have this the picture? Did she send you this? Yeah. You know, this might not mean much to you. There's Nick with that little beard. But um, we, the, the dude standing next to me is Gandhi's great-grandson and um, Gandhi's great-grandson gave a21, um, the Mother Teresa Social Justice Award. And um, so that was where, what we were doing right there. And so that's quite significant. And so you'll see here um, past recipients of which include global leaders and icons such as Malala Yousafzai, the Dalai Lama, um, the Ghanan President, Minister of Malaysia, uh, the United Kingdom's House of Lords, Baroness Caroline Cox, and, you know, Doctors Without Borders and White Helmets. And so it is a, a, a great secular recognition um, of the work of A21. Just this last month alone, we had 25 rescues of people that are done, which is pretty amazing. And, um, and the biggest trafficker in Greece who owns half the brothels in Thessaloniki, um, he was prosecuted. We were able to put him away for 25 years and a 100,000 euro fine. Come on, somebody. So uh, I, I was pretty fired up about that. So let me just say, when revival happens, justice happens on the earth and mercy and justice prevails on the earth. So we need people touched with the fire and the power of God. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. And um. Since it's the last night of revival, you've got nowhere else to go. So if I start in Genesis, I'll get to Revelation sometime before <laughs> the second coming. And um, it will be awesome. I'm already a, a chick. I've aged. I've been coming here for 16 years, so I'm up to the glasses stage. It does happen. You know, I'm going to talk on our, our last night. I know Pastor Stephen, it was so powerful with um, Pastor Stephen's message. It's, a, it's such a powerful message. And I mean, seriously, John Gray, there's just no words for, <laughs> there is no words for Brother John. And so I'm white and I don't sing. I'm sorry. So um, anyway, that, that's not going to happen. So you all had that last night. And, but the Holy Spirit is obviously unpacking so much and there's, you, you can't, you have to experience this. This is why you can't miss these revival nights and nor church tomorrow because it doesn't end now. Um, the fact is that we, we are planted in church and we are carriers of this. We are carriers of what God is doing here. That's why it's so pivotal that we're there in the morning. But, you know, I think the Holy Spirit's going to do something as we're unleashed into the world around us because revival's not about just what happens in these four walls. It's about what we're going to do outside of these walls. That's what this is setting us all up for the year. And so many of us are going to get set free tonight. We, we know that the hard place is where we can, you know, find the anointing of God and find God in the midst of wherever we are that's challenging and and. You know, last night, you tell me, what did you learn last night? Don't stop. Don't just strike it three times. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. There has to be a tenacity. There has to be a strength. But I will talk to you about how the enemy is going to 
try to make you not find God in the hard places because we're, you know, welcome to the last days that we're living in. It's just going to get darker and darker. And that's okay because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more and the light gets brighter. So we're not freaking out. The church is born for this stage and this age. While everyone is just arguing and full of divisiveness and full of fear and doubt, I'm thinking like God is still on his throne. He hasn't gone anywhere. He says, I'm okay. I'm still ruling. I'm still reigning. And people go, Christine, are you freaking out? Look what's happening. I'm like, you know what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot, shall not, will not prevail against the church of the living God. She is continuing to grow. She's continuing to thrive. So you just don't need to listen to all that fear, doubt and negativity. You just need to listen to what God says. But the enemy will come after us because he does not want this. Because this, this revival atmosphere, what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place This is what our world needs. Nothing's going to unify our world. It's the power of God. That's what our world needs. Nothing is going to help us live right other than the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God. So so we are carriers and stewards of something very sacred and something very holy. But right from the Garden of Eden, when God sent Adam and Eve, and there they were in this beautiful garden, and they were called to do what we're all called to do, to cultivate and to create. That's what you do in a garden. You cultivate and create, and the people of God are called to do that in the earth around us. The enemy sent an assignment to still kill and destroy the perfection of what God wanted to do through their life. And you know what? He's, he's a bit of a loser, the devil. He doesn't come up with anything new. In 2018, he's still using the same game plan he used in Genesis. Now, the issue is, who's the fool more, us or him? Because we keep doing the same thing. I mean, I think just read the word and go, oh, that's the loser's game plan. We are not going to play what the enemy's playing. We're not playing according to his rules. We're not playing according to his game plan. So I'm going to talk to you about what it is that he wants to put on us and has put on a whole lot of us that stop you from flourishing and thriving and being all that God has called you to be on the earth today. And it's a thing that I had to struggle with more than anything else in my life. For decades, it robbed decades off my life. And if we do not nail this, then you know what? We can jump up and down in here, but it's not gonna make any difference out there. And right from when I went to school, I remember I was like the Greek kid and I would go to school with my feta cheese (laughs) sandwiches, which, you know, is cool now, but it wasn't cool when I was going to school. And the, you know, the Australian kids didn't really like the Greek kids. And, you know, my mother would make sure that there was lots of garlic on my feta cheese sandwiches, which... (laughs) which is like not cool at five years old in kindergarten. And the Aussie kids, the Australian kids were eating Vegemite. I don't know if you know what Vegemite is, but I suggest you all buy a jar of it and just eat it by the spoonful. It's so good for you. No, don't. It's a yeast extract. It's a black substance. It's awesome. And, um, and so I remember Raymond and Robert just ridiculing me I didn't even know why, I didn't know, I didn't speak English hardly, and so I had no idea that it was odd. You know what it's like when someone at school mocks you or ridicules you for just being different because you just eat different or look different? Well, that's what happened. And that set me on a trajectory of, of great shame. I was so ashamed of my, the lunch my mum packed or the accent that I had. And so from that day, I used to throw my lunch out on the way all the time, you know, but this shaming feeling, this sense that I'm 
different. I'm not enough. I'm not good. That, that, that was creeping in in a really, really big way, just even in my own family. You know, my, my mum wanted a ballet dancer for a daughter and, you know, got me. And so she would take me, like, to Target so that, you know, she wanted to buy me Barbie dolls, but she'd find me in, the, like, the book section reading and um, wanting to play soccer. You know, she'd drop me off at, um, she'd drop me off at uh, ballet classes and find me come and pick me up an hour later and I would have been at the soccer field next door with the boys with the tutu like around my head like a, a headband and, um, and I was like this constant disappointment because why can't you be like all the other girls? Why do you like soccer and why don't you play with dolls? And Christine, if you read too many books, you'll be too intelligent and no boy will want to marry you. Hello. I'm old, I told you. But there was a world when girls were taught that. I know it's not like that anymore. But it was back in, um, in my day where I would hear that all the time. No one's going to want to marry you if you're too smart. No one's going to marry you. Don't, 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 don't express all your gifts. Don't express all your talents because you're going to intimidate. Because I'm really going to want to marry a man that I intimidate, aren't I? But anyway, that's another issue. And so it would always be, you're too much or you're not enough. Why can't you be more like other people or why are you too much of who you are? So you start thinking, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Why can't I just be? I've said this in a room this size, thousands of people. There's so many of us. Someone has said that to you. My teacher in kindergarten wrote, on, on, sorry, in first grade, she wrote on my report card, Christine cannot, Christine is strong, but she can't always be the leader. Now, the devil will always come at you in the area that God wants to most use you. And so right back in my schooling, right back when I was a kid, the enemy came at me because I was different. I was of a different ethnicity because God was calling me to the nations of the earth. So if the enemy could kill that, then he would try to do that by heaping shame on me. God called me to be a leader in my generation. So right there, Right there in first grade, the teacher. And you know, it was so shocking to me. I remember reading that, and this is how consciously I made a decision then that I am never going to put my hand up again for anything. And it must have worked because at the end of the year, in the final school comments, the teacher wrote, Christine has settled down very nicely now. Because that's what the enemy will always try to do, to minimize you, to shrink you, to make you feel that you are less than what God created you to be. And he will shame you into shrinking back. The first time I spoke in the Bible college that I went to in our chapel service, the Bible college dean, he just did not particularly like women in ministry and he particularly didn't like me. I don't know why, but he didn't. And so I remember when I gave my first ever talk, after I, I finished, I mean, God really moved. But he got up and he said, well, Christine Karyophilus, because this is before I was married. Well, Christine Karyophilus, after that, it's obvious nobody will ever invite you to go and speak for them. That was such a pathetic effort. He's dead now and I'm here, but anyway. So at the... <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay, I'm not bitter. And so, <laughs> but what I am saying is the enemy will come at you. He'll come at you because, you know, the thing that I do, probably more than any other thing, 
nowadays to millions of people every day through television and through different forms of media is, is preach and teach the Word of God. But here is the deal that the enemy will come and attack. Hey, you're not enough or you're too much or there's something wrong with you. And as if I needed those voices to echo what I had thought about myself anyway. There's a lot of new people in here, so you don't know my story, and many others do, that I was sexually abused for 12 years, that I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born, so I, so I carried enough shame. I, I don't ever remember a moment where I wasn't ashamed anyway. I didn't need the boys at school to laugh at me about my lunch, because I already had enough shame through what was going on at home. I didn't need the teacher to heap more shame on me because I had enough. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't realize school was the only thing that was giving me any hope, but she quenched that as well. So then there was no hope at home or at school. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. You feel like no one cuts you any slack. You feel like you've got no opportunity. And just when you might shine and have a go and, and maybe try to step out, the enemy will come and say, let's just put another cloak of shame on you because I want to hold you back. What I want to show you is this has been his modus operandi since the Garden of Eden, since creation. This is what the enemy has wanted to do, is to heap shame on us. And if you and I, in this culture, I'm speaking specifically to this subject now and at the outset of the year, because the New York Times and several publications and several studies have called this the generation, the shaming generation. Uh, this is the generation where on the internet we just call everyone out. We just try to shame each other. Everyone just vents. Everyone just puts pictures up. I mean, if you go to college, there's always the walk-off. Not that any of you know what it is, but I'm just saying for all your friends that have never done that. But there is this shaming culture, and I want to tell you it is so destructive and it is so demonic. And I'm using that word because that's exactly what it is. And when I look at what is happening in our society, when I look at what is happening through our social media channels, when I look at what is happening in every realm of society, this shaming that's trying to hold back a generation from being who God has called you to be and from doing what God has called you to do. But I want you to see that it's here in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The Bible says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not Ashamed. Isn't that interesting? God went to the trouble in the second chapter of the Bible to say there is one thing I created you to never know what it feels like to have. It doesn't say they knew no joy or peace or fear or anger. It says they knew no shame. Why would God take the time, last verse of chapter two, just before we go into the fall, to say, I wanna remind you just before mankind fell that I actually created you to not know what one thing feels like and that thing is shame. Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. So if you were the devil, what would be the one thing you want to do to the only thing created in the image of God in order to mar that image, to try to destroy that image, to thwart that image, to diminish that image, to stop that image from reflecting the glory of God on this earth? What would you want to put on them? Shame. You'd want to put on them a burden that they were never ever created to bear. 
And then you wonder why we have the depravity that we have on the earth today. You wonder why you feel like you are caught in traps and you don't want to be doing some of the things that you're doing and you feel like there's no way out. You wonder how you've gone down this tunnel and you're like, how did I get here? And then there's so much pain and hurt on the inside that the only way you can cover that is by shaming somebody else. Because hurting people hurt people. And if you look at our news and you look at our social media feeds and you look at what's happening out there, people are hurting people nonstop. People are shaming others. And the only reason people shame others is because of the shame they feel. And so the, the devil has come to heap shame on a generation. And you'll see how he unpacks that right here. The Bible says in chapter three, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. He was more crafty. And you're gonna find out why he's smart. And he hasn't changed, not really smart, just crafty, there's a difference. But it says, he was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman. <laughs> Some things never change. The woman whom you gave. Victim blaming culture didn't just start now on Twitter, hashtag. <laughs> Victim blaming culture. This is, if there was Twitter, this would have been the first hashtag. And he didn't just blame the woman, he also blamed God. The woman who you gave me. It's not my fault. You gave her to me. We don't like to take any personal responsibility, but that's not this sermon, that's another one. That's next year's awakening, okay? So the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And we'll go on, but let me just stop there. So here we go. The Bible says that the serpent came in. He was more crafty than any other ant. Why was he more crafty? He was more crafty because he started with exactly the same thing that he does today. It says, the serpent said, said. Because the enemy knows that if he can say something to you through the media, through a teacher, through a friend, through what you're looking at on your handheld device, through whatever, 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 whatever it comes, faith comes by hearing, whatever it is that you're hearing. Faith, you will believe whatever you listen to. Faith comes by hearing, and if you want to walk in the faith of God, it's gotta come hearing 
by the word of God. You cannot have faith for what you do not hear. And so if you're not hearing the word of God, you are not gonna have any faith or you're gonna have faith for the wrong thing. So the enemy comes and he said to her, and can I say to you, the question he asked her, this is the first time that we hear the enemy having a conversation with mankind in the Scripture. The first thing you need to know is that if the devil comes talking to you, don't talk back. Don't have a conversation or talk back, tell him to shut up and end the conversation. That's it. Don't, don't sit there and have a whole dialogue. That was the first thing she did wrong. But the question he asked her, and I'm only gonna talk about three questions in a few moments tonight. The first question he asked her is the question that the devil has asked throughout all of time and he's asking loudly in 2018. He comes close to the woman and he asks the first question we see in Scripture, did God really say? Did God really say? Because here's the issue. If you don't know what God really said, you will believe what the enemy says. You will believe what the government says. You will believe what the media says. You will believe what everyone else says if you do not know what God really says. So the enemy comes in 2018 and he says, did God really say marriage is between one man and one woman? Did God really say life begins at conception? Did God really say don't lie? Did God really say don't covet? Did God really say don't lust? Did God really say it matters who I jump into bed with? Did God really say it matters what I do? Did God really say? Oh, no, no, the devil hasn't changed. Did God really say? And in fact, if, if we want God to say it, why don't we just put it through the dishwasher and the washing machine and the dryer and turn it inside out and say, if we twist it and read it like this and maybe change it this way and actually substitute an entirely different book, we can make it say whatever we wanna say. Did God really say is the question for every generation. Every generation must confront the question, did God really say? Did God really say? And how you hear what God really says is determined by what you really think of God. So if you at your core believe that your God is good and that your God does good, then even when your God asks you to do things that you don't understand and may defy your reasonable logic, you're not going to try to change what God says because it makes more sense to your natural mind, but you'll say, I know who my God is. And sometimes when you don't understand the why, you know the who. And when you know the who, you just have to go, I don't know why, but I know who. And I know that my who, He is good, that He does good, that He will work all things together for my good and for His glory. I might not understand why, but I know the who, and He is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. He knows how I operate best. My God is a gracious God. He is a loving God. So when I might not understand why, don't elevate your understanding above your knowledge of the who. 
And so in our world, because we, our idol is our understanding, and we like to have a God created in our own image, in fact, we prefer to be our own idol. So if I don't understand it, or I don't like it, or it doesn't feel good for me, I try to then mold my God into my image so that I can make that word say what I want it to say because it makes me feel better and then I don't have to feel awkward at school or college or in my dialogues in the public sphere. And people won't think I'm narrow or intolerant or judgmental. But see, when you know you're who, when you know you're who, there's no arrogance about you. There's no lack of grace about you. There's no love of inclusive. There's no lack of inclusivity or love. But you don't have to change your theology to love people more. You just love people more. The Bible says, "Whosoever will, anyone." My table's always been very long. Whosoever will, anyone can sit at the table. But Jesus is also extremely inclusive and highly exclusive. He says, "I am the way, not our way." I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so the fact is, the question for every generation is, did God really say? So then the issue is, Eve in her dialogue with the serpent turns around and she says, God did say. Here's the problem. You could be sitting in church your whole life. You can have done 100 Bethmore Bible studies if you're a chick. You can know how to memorize the Bible. You can quote it back. But if you don't believe what it says and do what it says, she quoted the words of God back to the devil. How many of us have got so much Bible and church in us? that we can quote it, but quoting it isn't what changes your life. It's gotta permeate, see this is why the awakening revival, this is why this is crucial, because something happens supernaturally that it just bypasses your brain, and it happens in your spirit. Because the problem is that too many people have not had a spiritual encounter, maybe a cognitive encounter. And they can say, I can memorize this and I know it in the Greek, Hebrew and Aramaic. Honey, you can know it in the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic and Spanish. But if you're not d doing it, there's no point knowing it. Faith without works is dead. You've got to put it into action. You've got to do it and you've got to live it out. You've got to live it out. And this is awakening us to live it out. That's why tomorrow, some of you, you've got to come and get baptized because it's got to be a change. It's like a change. It can't be like an option. You go, I am going to, to show something. I'm going to go from death to life. It's happened in the spirit, but I am here and I'm going to lie down and say, the old man is dead. The new man is alive and I want the whole world to see it. I'm going to do something with my faith. I'm going to activate it and I'm going to do something. There's a lot to be said about doing something. But she quotes it. She quotes it and she says, he said to, you know, let me read it to you. God did say, I need my glasses because I'm over 50. But God, God did actually say, can you believe that? God did, God actually say, he says, and she says, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Imagine that. But God said, don't go to that nightclub with that unsafe person. 
Oh, but, but God said, don't lie. But, but God said, don't screw around. But God said, don't, don't. But God said, you can say that. It's true. But God said, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't eat of that fruit. That's what the enemy always said. But God said, don't touch it lest you die. Because he's good. He's like, I, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die. You don't realize if you go down that track, it's going to destroy you. It's not that I, I don't want you to have fun. I don't want you to die. There's a difference. A lot of us have confused the two things because of the enemy. The enemy makes us think that we are losers because we're Christian. Oh, your God, he just doesn't want you to have any fun. He just doesn't. And so look what the enemy says. You go, what do you mean by that, Christine? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In that one phrase, he has just tried to undermine the character of God. See, every time your friend whispers, oh, no, you don't have to go. What do you mean you have to go to youth? What do you mean you're going to church? What do you mean you're tithing? It's not going to impact your finances at all. It just went quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going to go over here. So we'll just, so we'll just go. So, so, so what do you mean? What do, what do you mean? What do you mean that I have to keep myself morally pure? What do you mean don't commit adultery? What, what do you mean don't check out that porn on the internet? What do you mean? God just doesn't want you to have fun. You won't die. You won't die. You're not hurting anyone. As someone that runs one of the largest anti-trafficking organizations in the world, let me tell you, we could pretty much clean up sex trafficking overnight if just the church people stopped watching porn. Let me just tell you, we pretty much could. We really could. The biggest lie of the devil is you will not die. You're not hurting anyone. You should work with the people on the other side of the images that you're looking at that you're objectifying because they're not human beings in your mind. I don't know what you think they are. Someone's sister, someone's daughter, someone's brother. But somehow we've bought into the light. You, you won't die. It, it's not that bad. You just sleep with them and then just repent and just go to church. No big deal. No big deal. Just cheat on that tax return. No one will really know. Everyone else at work's doing that. Everyone else is doing that. It really doesn't matter. Who's going to know? And then we come and pray for revival and God goes, I'm trying to have it. Could you be honest for one day? Could you be honest for one day? But the devil will say, you won't die. It really just say, you go, but look, I went to the singles group for two weeks. I kept myself morally pure for two whole weeks and I went and I said to God, if I don't find my partner in two weeks, I'm gonna go to that nightclub and I'm gonna find my own. And God's like, I'm so scared. I'm, I'm freaking out now. What am I going to do? Bartholomew, can you help me out? What am I going to do? I, I tithed for one week and now I'm not a millionaire. So that's, and God's like, wow. Wow, but you want to take on the devil and you can't even tithe for three weeks in a row? Oh, okay. Okay. God, I, 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 I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to stand up for you, Jesus, but you know, I, I, I'm not going to come and get water baptized, but you know, I am in my heart, Jesus, I'm standing up, in my heart. And so here we go. We go through the deal and what the devil's trying to say is, 
you're not going to die. You, you just turn up on a Sunday when you feel like it. And, and, and you're not going to die. It doesn't really, you know, you don't have to read your Bible. You're not going to die. Don't be so legalistic. I just want to know when in Christianity, obedience became legalism. I, I, I'm just not sure when that happened. I, I, I don't know. I, not sure. But somewhere along the line, anyone that's obedient, the devil tries to go, no, no, you're legalistic. You're judgmental. You're a Pharisee. You're narrow. You're intolerant. The devil wants us to think that we're idiots because we obediently worship Jesus. You don't have to be ugly to anyone else. You can love the world and obey Jesus Christ. You can do both things. You can do both things. They're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. You won't surely die is the biggest lie of the enemy. And every generation is gonna have to navigate, did God really say? Not did the person on your favorite podcast really say? Did your favorite follow say? Did God really say? And then you're gonna have to navigate every generation, every one of us. The accusation that to obey God we're gonna seem like legalistic bigots intolerant and not loving. The accusation that you're not really gonna die, the suggestion that says you can compromise, no one knows, it's not gonna impact anything, it doesn't really change the world, it doesn't make any, it doesn't matter, your witness doesn't matter in your workplace, your witness doesn't matter at school, your witness doesn't matter, as long as you come into revival and yell, that's great, as long as you worship really loud, that's great, you won't die. So he starts it down the track. Because God knows that if you eat of it, you're gonna be like him. <laughs> the devil will try to make you do the very antithesis of what God has told you to do so that you think you're gonna become who you already are if you actually had a revelation of who you were. See, the devil said to her, God doesn't want you to be like him. Here's the deal, she already was like him. She was created in the image of God. She was a daughter of the King. She already was made in the image of God. When you forget whose you are, you'll begin to act contrary to the will of God and the Word of God, and you are gonna spend your life jumping from one bed to the next, climbing some ladder, trying to get and become who you already are if you knew who you were as a son and a daughter of the King. But when you know who you are, you don't just jump into bed with anyone because you go, no, sweetheart, you are not gonna make me feel like a princess. I already am a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't need you to make me feel like anything. I don't need to pop a pill to feel any better about myself because I know who I am. I know who I am. So I don't have to lie to become that. I don't need your applause or your accolades to become who I already am. I know who I am. So many of us, we don't know we're sons and daughters of the King. So we're trying to find from the world what we can only get from God. 
So he comes and he lies, just do that, jump into there, sleep there, compromise there, and you'll become more like God. And God's like, wow, how much more like me do you want to be? I made you in my image. Do you want to be more like me or do you want to be me instead of me being me? Is that what it is? Oh, idolatry's always been the issue. Many of us don't want to become like God, we want to be God. That's why we don't obey God. We exalt ourselves on the throne. Idolatry is the root issue of every sin. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. Where we elevate ourselves above God. And so the enemy goes on and he suggests to her that you're going to become the... Just imagine how, how could she have forgotten so quickly who she was. You already are. You've got access to everything. Man, if we could just realize who we are. But see, shame makes us forget who we are. <laughs> makes us forget. And some of us have been brought up in a whole philosophy that actually does not, you know, it, it's actually taught us the antithesis of who we are. Like, I know in America you learn all the right stuff, but here in Australia, you know, we learn some crazy stuff at school. And you have to be very educated to believe this. In school, our very, very, very academic they had a lot of letters after their name, those kind of professors, really smart, smart people. They taught us right from kindergarten that many, many moons ago in the eternal nothing of the nothing, two nothings came together and went bang! And there it was, my great-grandfather, the cockroach. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be very educated to believe this. And so what happened was that cockroach just crawled around the earth for a little while. It had a genetic mutation. It went bang. There it was, the frog. And the frog just hopped around the earth and it had a genetic mutation. It went bang and there it was, the ape. And the ape was walking around the planet on a very, or really in Jacksonville, on a very, very <laughs> hot summer's day. And um, went to the hairdresser, had a cut, shave, and blow dry. <laughs> and here we are today. And so essentially, we've been brought up and we have been schooled under a philosophy that says you came from nothing. You live for no reason. And you're going nowhere. And if you believe for long enough that you came from nothing, you live for no reason and you're going nowhere, then why are we shocked that there's a generation that's living like they came from nothing and they live for no reason and they're going nowhere? But I've got some really good news for you tonight, friend. You did not come from nothing. You were created in the image of Almighty God. You are filled with God-given destiny. You are filled with God-given purpose. You are created on purpose, for a purpose, in the image of our Almighty God. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Let me just say, a teacher might have said you're dumb. A parent might have said, I wish you were never born. An ex-lover, an ex-spouse might have used you up, spat you out, and you feel like you are worth nothing. But I'm here to tell you today that God has made you in His image, that God loves you, and He has got a plan and a purpose for you. You were made on purpose. On purpose. And so... He says to her, you're not going to die, and the fact is it's a lie, so what happens? Let me rush this up, and the band can come up here. Not only says you are not going to die, they eat, and what does the Bible say? That they took it, and then they realized they were ashamed. That's what happens, isn't it? The devil auto-suggests stuff, then you do it, and then you feel so bad. Now he's like awesome, and I'm telling you this because he's going to come at you right after revival right after revival. So he'll come.
because he wants to shut you down for the rest of 2018. And that's what happens. And he shuts us down with both guilt and shame, but guilt and shame are two different things. I carried shame for a long time. Guilt is when you've done something wrong, and that's the goodness of our God. It doesn't mean you are wrong, it means I did something wrong. And that's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. Guilt says I did something wrong, shame says I am wrong. See, when I started being sexually abused for, when it first started happening to me, I thought what they were doing to me was wrong. But it happened so much that over time I thought there's something wrong with me. That's why they're doing it. Some of you, you know what that feels like. Someone else leaves you, you go, there's gotta be something wrong with me. Something else happens, I thought that time and time again. If it was one teacher or a Bible college director or what, it's there's something wrong with me. I'm too much, I'm too much. But the devil was trying to kill all of this, that's what that all was, by heaping shame, by heaping shame. And it would be just like God, that he would say, you know what, Chris? I might take all those broken pieces of your past, you know, the abuse and the adoption and the abandonment, and not only will I rescue you, Chris, but I'll raise you up to raise up A21 and you can rescue another generation of those that are caught in captivity and in bondage because God will work all things together for your good and for His glory. That's what your God will do. There's nothing that He cannot redeem. There is nothing that He cannot restore. But listen to me. God cannot heal what you do not reveal. So the devil through shame will try to keep all that stuff in darkness. Because the Bible says that Adam, they, they saw that they were ashamed and so they made little fig leaf coverings for themselves. Because that's what we do, try to cover. Oh, it's like my little daughter, I busted her. She was eating chocolate ice cream. I came down the stairs and I heard the refrigerator shut. She's like chocolate all over. I go, Sophia, are you eating ice cream? No, mummy. Like chocolate from head to, you know. If you don't believe in the Adamic nature, just have a child. Anyway, so, um, and so like, no, mummy. And that's how we are to God. No, I didn't do it. God, God's like, wow. Uh, <laughs> I can see all the chocolate ice cream dripping. <laughs> and we get our little fig leaf. And if you only just read a bit further on in Genesis chapter three, when God makes a covering, the Bible says he took animal skins and he sewed them a covering from top to bottom. God doesn't just give you a little loincloth. God covers you. His grace covers you from top to bottom. That's the goodness of the grace of God and the love of God. It's, it's, it's outstanding. So then, you guys can take all this. Then he comes in, and here is God walking into the garden. Can you imagine what it's like? He comes into the garden, and here is the first word in Scripture, the first sentence that we hear of God talking to Adam and Eve created in His image. He spoke over the image of man in Genesis chapter one when He gave them dominion and told them to, be, to go forth and multiply. But in Genesis chapter two, He makes the man Adam, the woman Eve, and so now we see the first conversation in the Garden of Eden between God and humanity. First conversation. And here is this first, it breaks my heart. Here is the first words, the first sentence we see in Scripture of God to man. He comes in, He goes, where are you? Where are you? And I think God's asking many of us the same thing. Where, where are you? Where, where's the you that I created? Where is the you full of potential? Where is the you full of destiny? Where is you full of, where are you? And let me just say, when 
God asks that question, it's not because He doesn't know. He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, He knew. Every time He walked in the garden before then, they would have run to Him. And here's Adam's, the first recorded sentence we see from Adam to God. I was naked and afraid and so I hid. Fear, shame and hiding in the first sentence from man to God. And fear, shame and hiding is how so often we go to God. I was naked and afraid. Shame cripples you. Shame paralyzes you. Shame minimizes you. And then God asks the, his second question, the third question of the three. The enemy says, did God really say? God says, where are you? And then the Lord looks at Adam and says, who told you? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? I don't know. Who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you that you're too much? Who told you that you're not a good mother? Who told you that you're not a good father? Who told you that you're a bad? Who told you? What is the origin of the lie? Where is the thing that happened to you that put that thought in you? Who told you you'll never amount to anything? Who told you you'll always stay poor? Who told you there'll always be addiction in your family? Who told you you'll never be able to break up and into the purposes of God? Who told you? Who told you? The best way I can explain this to you is my daughter. Catherine and Sophia have traveled with us all along and since they were born, Catherine, uh, and Nick um, has done this over both girls. And I would always say over them, you know, Catherine, Bobby, you're the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. You're a leader and not a follower. You're a woman of God. You're a woman of prayer. You're a Holy Ghost terrorist. You, you, you are gonna grow up and you're gonna marry a very, very, very wealthy Christian man. I've told her forever, That's, I've told them. When you don't pop out a kid till 40, you need a son-in-law that's rich to look after you. And her daddy has always said to her, Catherine, Bobby, you are capable, you are strong, you are intelligent, you are beautiful, you could do anything God's called you to do, you could be anyone that God's called you to be. That, that, he's always said that over her life. Well, then she went to kindergarten and you know that environment is not kind of like this environment. <laughs> That's where you're all gonna go on Monday because you're all gonna be in church tomorrow morning. But on Monday, when you go to work and you go to school and you go to university and you're out of this environment. And the teacher said to me, Christine, I went to pick her up after school. She said, Chris, there was a little boy and Catherine and this little boy had a little fight at lunchtime. And um, she said, the little boy was very mean. He, Catherine had a little teddy bear and the little boy wanted the teddy bear. So he grabbed the teddy bear out of her hands and he looked at her and he said, Catherine, Bobby, you are ugly and you are dumb. Now, I don't even know how my daughter would have known what that meant. But the teacher said to me, Christine, you should have seen her. Your daughter just put her shoulders back. She looked at him in the eyes and I honestly, I honestly thought the teacher was gonna say, and she king hit him. I'm like, yes, yes extra Christmas presents if that's the case. But she said to me, Christine, she just put her shoulders back and she looked at him and she said to him, no, I'm not. 
I'm not dumb and I'm not ugly. My daddy says that I'm intelligent and I'm beautiful and when the enemy comes to tell you that you are not enough, when the enemy comes to try to rip you down, you turn around and you say, no devil, my daddy says that I am a daughter of the King. I am a son of King. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Devil, no, you can not. Greater is the God that is in me than any force around me. No weapon forged against me shall prosper. I am a child of the living God. My daddy says in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, come on. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.